This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting their career in design, or looking for a reminder of why they went into design. On this episode, we talk with Leisha Meraki, a director of brand strategy at Rora and a lead in brand experience at MDMD. Leisha talks about how graduating in the middle of a financial recession forced her to take risks and work abroad in search of job security, how her experience building a career in practice and venture design shifted the judgment of design from aesthetics to strategy, and how the most important currency in the world is not capital, but connection, including the connection with oneself. Leisha Meraki, thank you for joining us on This is Design School today. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, maybe to get us started, you can kind of give us a, a little bit of uh, your design journey. How did you get to become who you are today? The short answer would be that I graduated in a recession, and our professors were really adamant about us exploring different avenues and different locations. Um, So I left the US and found myself in Europe, in Italy specifically, and then I came back to the US to do a stint in Seattle. Um, But the recession was still going on and I thought, well, if I'm not gonna have job security in Seattle, I might as well um, not have job security in a different country. (laughs) So I left for Australia and what was meant to be a few months in Melbourne became many years and um, eventually came back to the States, came back to Seattle. And now I'm um, working in venture design. I split my time between two practices, two venture practices. The first is my own called Rora. Much of our work centers around art, design, retail and education. And the second is called MDMD, which is based out of Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it was founded by Dr. Mailing Dury. And together we are assisting clients primarily in FinTech or health services. That's the very short version. I don't think I've ever done it that short. <laughs> Maybe can you talk about how did you get from, from Seattle to Italy? What, why Italy to start with? I always loved Italy. I um, There was a movie that I as a kid and I thought that's where I want to go. I was always fascinated about Roman architecture and Roman mythology and it was just something I was fascinated by and when I was a freshman at the University of Washington we had um, the way that UW kind of broke it down for freshmen is that that first quarter you would take a bunch of classes with a core set of um, peers and you'd have the same classes Um, and they were kind of um, already picked for you like you could do it in a package set almost Um, and so one of them involved art history um, Italian language classes and a design uh, prerequisite class Um, and I actually thought I was going to go into art history Um, so the 
the decision to go to Italy um, post-graduating was because I had an affinity for it. I had studied, studied abroad in Italy and it felt familiar in some ways. Um, and I just knew that I'd, I was gonna want to design abroad at some point. And I actually left the day after I graduated, the very next day. Um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Was, I think back now, that was so silly, but I remember going out with friends after we graduated, having a great night, and then waking up the next morning to um, friends at the door. They had surprised me at the, I don't know, it was so nice. And um, it was the day I was about to leave. Um, so I think I graduated on a Thursday. I was in Italy by Saturday, just because of the time difference. I slept for hours upon hours. I woke up on a Monday, but I thought it was Sunday. <laughs> um, and it was because probably I had uh, spent all that time like um, being prepared for graduation and finals and um, sleepless nights that I was finally getting caught up, but yeah, yeah. The exhaustion, just the exhaustion, and, <laughs> and then and travel, yeah, and then before I knew it, I woke up in a different country and started work. <laughs> How was it lining like lining that up? I mean, a finding a job at the bottom of a recession. I graduated in undergrad in 2010, so you know, around that same time too, but like, I mean, how was that lining that up, and then what did you do there? You know, surprisingly easy <laughs> um, in terms of lining something up. I um, I can't remember the website, but there were um, opportunities to work abroad, and um, the the process itself was, you know, fairly smooth. Yeah, um, I worked at a properties company, uh, a property company in in Rome, and they owned so hospitality properties, mm -hmm. companies, yeah. hotels, bed and breakfast and apartments. And my role was to um, look over the design and marketing for all of those properties. Um, and that was a really great experience because it also meant that I could be within the city walls. So Rome, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, you have the um, in city walls and outside city walls and the ones that are in the city walls, um, it, it maintains the history and architecture. So it was really wonderful to be a part of that. Um, yeah, such a great experience. And then after working with them, I um, worked for a publishing company and did some design and um, advertising for them. Um, yeah, and as I mentioned, I remember so vividly being a senior um, at the University of Washington and our professors sitting all of us down in a room. I think they were, maybe there's like 15 of us who graduated in that design discipline. And they were just really straightforward. They had said, it's gonna be tough. The graduating class before you are either getting laid off or they're not finding work. And so wherever you can get a, a role, um, go for it. It does not have to be in Seattle. It can be anywhere. And I think, um, so many of us took that to heart. Um, some moved um, out of state, well, most moved out of state, whether that was in Palo Alto or um, Baltimore or um, New York, and then some went abroad. Um, thankfully, you know, we all made it through. <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's nothing, 
it's not a great feeling when you've worked so hard over the last, I mean, you could say four years, but you know, your entire education journey and you're like, you're ready to get out in the world and the world's like, mm, we don't really have a lot for you at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think too, at the time, design wasn't, um, I'll say valued as much as I think it is now. Um, valued as part of a part of business. I think we were seeing the layoffs in design and marketing happening first, um, which is not the case now. Now you are working in a venture practice. Uh, what is your role in that kind of area? Because it sounds like you're starting to blend design and business together. Yes. Um, venture design or venture practice is a lean approach to strategy and business development. It's focused on building ideas rapidly and efficiently from ground to launch. Much of my work is with startups and scale-ups, although I tend to refer to them as pre-launch and post-launch. And what we know about those phases is that the resources, which could be human resources, um, and is more often than not capital resources, they are really scarce. And part of the venture practice is to recognize these perceived shortcomings as opportunities to share risk and reward alongside our clients. And that typically means remuneration is in the form of investment. Um, that could be in a convertible note or in equity. With MDMD, for example, the, which is a venture practice based, as I mentioned, in Melbourne, um, their approach really respects the relationship between what founders and owners do and who they are. And it's a belief that the wellness of the company is directly impacted by the wellness of the founder. And um, I wouldn't say it's a new approach, but I think that that idea is really grounded in Mei Ling's background, who's the founder, um, her background as a doctor in public health. Um, she was actually appointed a young global leader by the World Economic Forum for her work mm -hmm. in that space. Um, and what we often see with young founders or even seasoned entrepreneurs is a need to be realigned with their values and the values of the company. Um, I think a lot of our work is taking clients on a journey towards success. And one of the four main components of that success is the health and wellness of the team. And I don't just mean physical, but also you know developing communication hygiene, emotional intelligence, empathy. And so that's really the type of work that I'm doing now is values alignment between um, the work that we do and the people that we are. I love that alignment. Um, how do you see your alignment from being a communication designer to now working where you are? If I look back now, I would say yes, an easy flow, but you know, there's, there were so many kind of pivotal moments that got me to where I am now. My own practice, Aurora, was founded out of, well, frustration really. Um, and it was a culmination of different factors. First, my own previous experience in building a design content company. Second, my master's study in design education. And third, seeing firsthand certain inequities in the startup and VC space. I remember scribbling down, possibly yelling, definitely swearing, <laughs> a manifesto of sorts. I think for many years, I had dedicated my time to better articulating the profession, not 
for those within the industry, but for others outside it to see the value of design. And prior to Aurora, I was you know, just at wit's end. I was tired of clients not matching my own dedication to the job or seeing the work as piecemeal. And I knew that I would need to do a better job in communicating design as method, not ornament. And to me, that meant having a seat at the table from the beginning, you know, building a brand and a narrative from the start that could carry my clients from seed funding and series rounds to market. And if anything about communication, me as a communication designer should know how to communicate um, as best as I can. Um, I think designers in the past, maybe not so much now, had been considered an outline group whose profession was often judged by aesthetics rather than for strategy and for the problem solving behind the solution. And if having a seat at the table is of importance, then I think the two biggest challenges, challenges in the design profession and challenges that I set for myself was um, to help others understand what is meant by design and place value on the skills and thinking performed within the design practice itself. Um, I think it's important to take clients on a journey to allow them to feel that they have ownership in the process and to, to speak their language, which is typically a financial la language, um, you know, drawing correlations between brand equity and customer retention and bottom lines. I remember, um, it's like a long-winded answer, but um, I was writing my thesis. I quoted, um, my his name escapes me, but he was the former um, pres AIGA president. And he said, um, a gold coin, yeah, a gold coin only has value because two parties both want it and both value it. And our challenge is to make design the gold coin. And um, that I think has driven me in my, in my work. Um, the practice that the practice was founded on a belief and it's a personal belief that, you know, we live in a knowledge led and information led society and the way that we interact with that information you know, it's creation, it's distribution, storage, and integration, and use. It demands effective design. And if you frame it that way, there's no greater value than of design and its ability to um, significantly impact our economy, our policies, our democracy, uh, and our culture. I think people vastly underestimate the amount um, design acts as kind of a mediator. <laughs> for so much of our lives now, you know, in terms of developing those experiences or access. And yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that switch. Obviously, you are able to talk about business. <laughs> Where along the way did you pick that up? Were you just observing of operating on within different teams or did you have additional mentorship or education in that? Yes, um, mentorship and observation. The experience that I have in Rome, um, I learned how not to do business. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, what I was talking about is like the wellness of the founder directly correlates to the wellness of the business. And in that case, the CEO did not have a team and it was really all on him. And you could see that frustration coming out to his employees, um, contractors. And I knew, okay, that's not how this is meant to happen. When I came back to Seattle, I saw 
a team that worked so well, a team with um, account managers, never underestimate an account manager. They are your best friend. Um, and, you know, seeing all the cogs work in a large environment and how good it could be. And then I went to Melbourne and similar experiences, you know, just inserting yourself and listening and hearing and observing how people interact. I think I learned a lot about EQ. You know, I, um, that's the main component. Um, and then in my time in Melbourne, I um, became a director with three peers, three friends of a content media and publishing company. And that was, I wouldn't say the first, but it was maybe at that point, the third or fourth time where I was really venturing into to a business. Um, and that exploded in a way that we didn't predict. Um, and so <laughs> I guess running and being on fire is the best way <laughs> to learn um, about how to run a business. And um, if I think back now, you know, the ability to make those mistakes um, so that I'm not making them now. The company was called Uncoded. And I think it was founded in 2011 or 2013. We curated an annual conference called Sex, Drugs, and Helvetica, <laughs> <laughs> which, um, you know, we created content that went beyond traditional portfolio reviews and focused on the real topics that influence designers and their industry. Um, you know, prior to us recording this, we were talking about how certain design podcasts or design content was really focused on existing designers. Um, but what happens in the middle and what is that process like? And for us, you know, inspiration is wonderful, but empowerment is better. And too often the commercial realities of the design profession were overlooked and it kind of catered to that myth of eye candy. Mm -hmm. um, and so at the heart of sex, drugs, and Helvetica, um, side note, we used to call it sex drugs, you know, as a short moniker. And it was always really interesting. You know, you'd be in a networking scene and someone would be like, oh, how's sex drugs going? And you're like, oh, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Um, anyway, um, you know, at the heart of what we were doing was the goal to empower the design community through stories of process. And so the conference, what we did was over one day, six acclaimed local and international designers each presented a single project from start to finish so rather than a portfolio show and tell mm -hmm. speakers were really going into the ins and outs of a working project um, mm -hmm. idea development rejected concepts collaborations the mess yeah the meetings <laughs> and you know you really got the sense like this wasn't you know a to, a to b was not a straight line it was mm -hmm. just an absolute jumble and um while the main audience at the start was youth, undergrad, young designers, where we ended was um, having accountants or um, people within the C-suite uh, coming to the conference to better understand design, you know, marketing managers, um, account managers, getting uh, to see what it is that designers actually do within the process. Um, and the projects that we covered were astounding. The, the projects kind of ran the gamut between retail or tech or health. Um, so it was just a great way to see all those projects and to really learn what happens 
in the industry. It kind of sounds like you're you're prepping yourself for like the information um, that students need or that perhaps you needed when you were in school. Have you ever given any thought to maybe going back to teaching in some way? I would absolutely love to. I studied a master's in education specifically so that I could have the credential to to lecture, but also to create curriculum, to create yeah. programming. But yeah, I've, I've taught um, at the at RMIT, which is the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology um, at Singapore, in Singapore at their Institute of Management and Global Education. Um, and at each institution, a curriculum was co-developed and taught through the lens of professional development, professional practice, and entrepreneurship, um, which is you know, something I'm really close to. Um, and while the core subjects were in strategy and innovation and marketing, I think the key component was the study of introspection, having designers understand themselves and who they are and who they might want to be. Um, because I think that plays a big role in understanding collaboration and management. And we got to ask the scholars um, and ask ourselves, you know, how might we help these undergrads better understand their own values and perspectives within team dynamics or help scholars recognize and investigate certain assumptions. Um, and then really affirm them as kind of co-creators of the curriculum itself, but of their projects. Um, yeah, teaching has been a wonderful experience. And I've, yeah. yeah, I'd like to think that the scholars appreciate that I meet them where they stand and, you know, when needed, inject, inject them with a bit of confidence and transparency about the industry. <laughs> transparency, yeah. I, I feel like this is something that is, is, desperately needed right now in undergraduate, uh, especially for for design, is the, the relationships between business and innovation and uh, development beyond the prototyping and beyond the creative components to it. How do you build in that, that uh, the enterprise along with the creativity in order to, to build a, a much more well-rounded designer that doesn't need to do everything, but understands the concepts of what happens when pen leaves paper and is transferred to someone else. What is the process that goes through and to think through those concepts in order to understand how best to, to serve the overall goal of the organization. Right. I remember um, one of my first classes that I taught, um, I had about 30 scholars in a, a 150 graduating class in design, which is well, that's a different story altogether. It's not something I recommend. <laughs> but, and I had them write down um, different design firms that they wanted to be part of. And um, I also asked how many people they thought were at these firms. And what I found was there was a very narrow view of what a designer was. And I had to be very blunt and transparent. And I'd say, this is the, the place that you want to work. There are only two designers. There are 30 of you, and there are many more graduating. And if you're, if you're going to have a narrow focus, then this is your, your fate. But there is so much within the design, um, in design education, design education that can prepare you for um, your time in the industry. Whether that's you're, you're becoming an account manager, um, you're, you're going into interaction design, or 
data visualization or you know just so many different areas rather than just thinking okay I'm going to only be a ISCOM designer or you could go into strategy what's funny is like I don't design much anymore <laughs> you know I leave that to you know junior designers who can do it far better than I can and quicker <laughs> um, yeah. so there's so many different avenues but I think when you're starting out as a design student you might not know you know where where your place might be or where you could go and I think too you're also still trying to figure out who you are as a person and what you like um, mm -hmm. and that just comes with getting older and growing up but yeah so being transparent when I'm teaching I think is a, a big thing and um, this also stems back from my own education which I think I took for granted in some ways about the rigor but also the um, representation like my professors were all practicing designers and I think I just took that for granted I thought oh, okay that's what that's what happens whereas now I realize that's not the case there are many uh, lecturers or professors within universities that are not necessarily practicing um, anymore and it's more academic um, but I think as a student knowing that your mentor or your professor or your lecturer is in it means a lot so I, I try to still be on the tools you know so that we can relate or they can come and ask me about, you know, budgets or the mess as we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I can have it an open and honest conversation about it because I've been there. I think that's you know, really key in teaching as well. Yeah, there's something you've said twice that every both times that you said it, it kind of was just like, oh. Uh, I mean, earlier you talked about, you know, how important it is for a designer to learn who they are and then you just kind of repeated like it's it's really important for a designer to like know who they are and i'm just curious about like going into deeper of why you think that is especially because i think there's there's a shift happening in the industry today where it's it's shifting a, a little bit away from this classical design mentality of learning through like practicing and it you know being taught down Versus now, I feel like there's a lot more conversation around recognizing the perspective of every designer and what that brings to the table, right? Rather than needing to conform. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that kind of overlaps with this idea of like um, needing to know who you are and what you bring to the table. But yeah, I was just curious if you had more on, on, on why that's important from your point of view. I think outside of the design industry, it's important to know what your values are and what you stand for. That's in anything. I mean, that's just life. <laughs> um, I think that we're all individuals and right now we're finding that the most important currency is not capital, it's connection. It's a connected group of now global practitioners and in order to do our work well and to make a difference, we need to be empathetic and uh, understanding. Um, but that's not just me to you, but also me to me. 
I need to know how to advocate for myself. I need to know what my boundaries are. But if I don't spend the time thinking about that, then I won't know. <laughs> and so with young scholars, young undergrads, um, I try to make it a point to allow them to figure that out or ask questions. And we and I've done this through, you know, obviously just chatting, but in a more structured way, like as part of curriculum. Um, and one of the things that we start out with is a Myers-Briggs test. I mean, it's a very kind of basic soiree in, but you identify very quickly, oh, this person is introverted. Oh, that person is more thinking or feeling. And what I've done is, um, you know, everyone takes the test and then we line up from from 100% on one end and 100% on the other end. And then the, the, uh, the students, they see their peers in this line. And it's sort of like there's a light bulb that goes on. It's like, oh, okay, so because they're introverted, the way that I speak to them is gonna be a bit different. Or, um, you know, the way that they see a brief is going to be unique to the way that I might see a brief. And so we start just in a, you know, a simple test. And then I might have them do um, like a, I don't, I don't have a, a title for it, but it's mm -hmm. basically like a dream job mapping thing that I have them do. Um, and in the end, we figure out that there's really no dream job. But the point of it is to take every job that you've ever had, you know, even babysitting, or mowing lawns and you take all of these jobs and then you circle what jobs you liked and then in the next column you write down why did you like it maybe babysitting has to do with children or maybe you liked talking to people when you're a barista or whatever it might be and then you take all those attributes and then you dream up of jobs that might be similar to that and it doesn't have to be design related and I remember one student saying I think I've done this thing wrong I said, why do you think you've done it wrong? And he's like, because it says I want to be a basketball coach. <laughs> and I said, okay. He's like, yeah, I've written down basketball coach and businessman. I don't even know what those mean to me. And the thing is, <laughs> and we laughed and I said, well, maybe it has more about to do with teamwork. You don't want to be on your own. You want to work with a team. And maybe you like more of the business aspect the management um, rather than the design. And interesting enough, what does he do now? He is a manager at Deloitte and he has a great team of designers and yeah, he found his way. And I'm not saying like that one test, that one little shred got him to where he is now, but you know, I'd like to think that there was some spark that was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not gonna be the one on the tools, but maybe I can bring up and build confidence in a group of designers and we can do it together i love that yeah it's an ongoing um process to figure out your values and yeah. the person that you are it doesn't have to it doesn't happen just as you're an undergrad yeah you know it's a constant constant thing well and they're not static either <laughs> yeah Trust me, I'm 20 years out from undergrad and I am still in that same process. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there are many things that build 
resilience, um, many experiences. And I'd say why I'm so adamant about it is from my own experience of going through rough times in business and maybe not having all the tools that I needed to um, get through it. So I I sort of make it a point to discuss it with young undergrads and even my clients now, to be honest. Yeah. Kind of as an opportunity to be reminded of um, all the possibilities that there are out there. Maybe a a little bit of hope at the end of of all of this. Yeah. um, I think if I am speaking about the work that I do now, the venture practice, um, or yeah, the, um, working with startups and scale-ups, um, I've had experiences that have not gone well in venture, in my own ventures. Um, the speaking my truth answer is that I have been royally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I have been royally fucked emotionally, financially, professionally, spiritually, but it builds resilience like no other. Um, that's the truth answer. I think the more thoughtful and diplomatic answer is that in business and with um, going into business with, with peers and colleagues, you know, when there is a lack of vulnerability or misguided expectations of one another, ego, uh, it, it's not going to go well. Um, earlier, I was talking about the work that I do with MDMD, which is... Um, you know, that journey to success, one of those components is team. Um, the other three would be, you know, timing to market, the IP, and the traction. But the, the team is so key. It's, it's oft, I think it's often overlooked. Um, and those experiences of not non-successes, I guess, Um, that experience has allowed me to be more successful in other ventures, you know, being able to foresee certain challenges. Um, and I think it makes me a better strategist now because beyond theory, I've put skin in the game and I feel it is a necessary badge to wear if I'm going to assist other entrepreneurs in their own journey. Um, I can recognize very quickly when a team is communicating in a poor or destructive way or when someone is coming from a place of scarcity I've been there I I I get it um so yeah those experiences have certainly helped me uh, in the professional work that I do outside of the the teaching work that I'm doing nice I think that's really wonderful I think one thing is looking at the current climate that we're in you know you have experience we have experience of coming into our careers through the middle of a recession. And now, you know, uh, we're kind of in a similar climate now. Um, Obviously, design isn't in the same place it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, But I'm curious about your thoughts of, you know, what, what is the future? And how do we navigate that? I think you made a good point that design is not where it was 10 years ago. I think what's really exciting now and what I hope young design students and even my peers take away is that good brands are becoming ubiquitous with good business. 
design is part of the conversation when it comes to the financial bottom line. And that's in part to social media and new technologies that allow us to tell compelling stories, um, but also conscious humans who are wanting to keep value aligned to what they buy. And I don't think that that's what that was like 10 years ago when I was graduating. incredible quote the other day it was probably just incredible to me but it was um from scott galloway and he is a professor at NYU's stern school of business and he said that that airbnb is going to be worth more than the three to five biggest hotel companies combined within a year of of its ipo which is meant to happen next month and the reason I, I smiled when I saw this because he cites the success with that IPO, of course, because of you know good margins and light assets and a number of business terms, but also with the fact that they have quote a great global brand. And for me, that was such a powerful acknowledgement. Like in an industry like travel that has been decimated by what's happened this year to hear a prediction of financial success that's fueled by a brand experience and brand equity is reaffirming by design. <laughs> yeah, re- reaffirming of the value we as designers bring forth. That's really exciting. Now, mind you, we are recording this before the IPO and, you know, I, who knows what might happen in the months to come. Um, I'm really curious how it all play out, but it was just so nice to read it. You know, a great global brand. Yes, that's what designers are bringing to the table from the start. And it's not just Airbnb, but, you know, there are many other brands where you're seeing that storytelling and you're feeling connected that has everything to do with you know great collaboration and messaging and copywriting and design experience that's all yeah it's really all exciting i think that's a great way to look at it from like a far back industry perspective but for somebody who is just coming out of school who just graduated or for somebody who might have been laid off or something like that what would you say to them in terms of what their perspective, you know, could be in the context you just talked about? Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say the same thing. Um, It's an understanding of design playing a big role Mm -hmm. in many different industries and design starting to be that gold coin, you know, that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the fact that someone who was, while talking about the stock market is also talking about a great global brand, I think is hopeful. Um, I would like to think that it means that industries are putting design first, that there are roles out there for good designers. It's not being thought of as second or third in the process. It's actually being thought of first in several different industries and services, whether that's in financial tech or um, in health services, or even, you know, the way that we buy food um, or shop online. 
Um, it's all through great design. Mm -hmm. I think what design teaches us is how to be agile. I mean, we learn that in the design process itself, you know, it's very cyclical. And right now it's not about survival of the fittest. It's survival of who's the most agile mm -hmm. and designers are the best at it. Um, so I have no doubt that young designers um, are going to find their way, find their feet. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Well, we usually like to end the show with uh, something we call the recommendation list. Currently, we are still in the uh, the midst of the COVID pandemic. And so a lot of us are at home. Alicia, I was wondering if you could give us some recommendations of things to do while you're, uh, while you're quarantining. Have one ritual. Oh, okay. Um, I learned that when I was really bad at work-life balance. <laughs> hmm. um, it was just to have one ritual for myself. And at that time, it was having brunch on a Sunday, just sitting at a nice, at my local, you know, at my cafe, drinking a chai and having breakfast. And that was really nice. That was just for me. And now, interestingly, I find that really comforting um, with quarantine. It, it just makes things feel just a little normal. Like I have the same little ritual, the same small routine, and it's not as big as it was then. I mean, now I just go two blocks, grab a brevet coffee, and then walk back, you know, with my mask on and all that. But it's just yeah. something, I don't know, something familiar, yeah. nice to look forward to. So I'd recommend that. <laughs> recommend whatever ritual it is to have one. I think that's really good. No, that's great. I'm always curious and like to ask uh, people what they're reading or listening to, uh, reading in terms of books or articles, something that you feel like made an impact on you that hasn't gotten in a play or read yet. It could also be, you know, a podcast you're listening to, or uh, I listen to music a lot. So I have a little thing when it comes to music. I like mm -hmm. to create one hour playlists, exactly mm -hmm. one hour. Um, and I do it because once the music stops, I know I have to get up from mm -hmm. my desk and at least walk or, you know, do something yeah. a little active. So it's a nice reminder that way. But I think the creative in me uh, likes the challenge of finding songs that get to an hour and to be able to do it in a, you know, I mean, as you said, you like music. So I'm sure mm -hmm. like, you know, that ultimate playlist where you have yeah. Like everything has to flow just mm -hmm. right. Um, the so opposite of putting something on shuffle. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no shuffle. <laughs> um, so I love doing that and creating little genres for myself. Um, and I like several different types of music. Um, and then um, two other things. Right now I'm reading Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the books? And I'm reading the books. Wow. I think there's something nice about, I don't want to say escapism, but I have found lately being more inspired by um, different types of storytelling and Lord of the Rings, you know, so many people talk about it um, mm -hmm. and I didn't read it um, as a kid. Um, and so I thought, okay, let's give this a go. Um, and that's been 
really fun actually. And there's so, there's so many of them. <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> keeping me pretty good in the last couple of months. And the other recommendation, I've been telling everyone about it actually. Um, I recently got Disney Plus and there's this behind the scenes look at the making of Frozen 2. So first I had to watch oh. Frozen 2, but then it was behind the scenes. And it is absolutely fascinating. It's project management like I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, but talk about the collaboration required and the sacrifices sometimes needing to be made personally and professionally to get a job done. And there's just so many people in this whole network, animators, drafting artists, sketch artists, like the co-directors, the writers, the actors. There's like so many components. It's mind blowing. And then to think like all of this for the simple pleasure of making someone happy when they watch a film. It's, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm slightly obsessed with watching it. And it's just really great to hear other creatives, you know, whether they're directors or producers or writers talking about their own creative process and then figuring out, okay, how does that reflect my own or how could I, how do I see that in my own industry? You know, just coming at it from a different way yeah. is really helpful. Yeah. I find that really, really interesting. Alicia, thank you so much uh, for talking with us today. It was great to hear your, pers your perspective and all your broad ranges of experiences um, throughout your career. I think there's lots of good nuggets and knowledge that I know I will take away, but I'm sure plenty of our listeners will take away as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you for having thank me. You. Uh, thanks for letting me share my, my own story. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for This is Design School is composed and recorded by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at TIDS Podcast. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.